morning, everyone. Welcome this morning to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. My name is Jeff Birch, and I'm the pastor here at Lake Oconee. And it's a joy to welcome you all this morning to our worship service, whether you're in person or watching on the live stream. I hope I'm pointing in the right direction of the camera, by the way, when I do that. I would hate to think the camera's over here or something like that, and I was messing that up. But we're glad in whatever form that you have chosen to worship with us. And as Jesus has said, he is searching and looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. We do pray that, filled with the Holy Spirit, we will be exalting our Savior, Jesus Christ, this morning. If you're a visitor this morning, we offer a warm welcome to you. We're thrilled you have chosen to worship with us. We hope when you came in, our greeters gave you a goodie bag, gives you a little bit of information about us, allows us the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. If you're on the end of the aisle, I'd ask you to get started our friendship pad. That gives you the opportunity to sign in, pass it along the aisle, and that is one more way that it gives us the opportunity in what we hope is a very non-threatening way to get to know you a little bit. If you want to pull out your bulletins, I'll highlight just a couple of things going on in the life of the church. Next Sunday afternoon at 3 p.m., we will be having, we're starting and launching once again. This is one of those new beginnings things. Coming out of COVID, all of that stuff, uh, we're starting ESL, which stands for English as a Second Language. And we're having an organizational meeting next Sunday, July 31st at 3 p.m. It'll be down the hall here in rooms 111 and 112. Uh, if you have any questions, if you're willing to help out or volunteer in any way, shape, or form, I guarantee you our man, Russell Puppy, will put you to work. He would love to have your service. He's sitting right over here. See him after the service. And then a week from Tuesday night, August the 2nd, Sebastian Cove HOA is sponsoring something that is called National Night Out. It will be from 6 to 8 o'clock, and it will be right in our parking lot. And if it's 98 degrees with 120% humidity, we'll all be huddled under the portico. It would be great to have, you know, 200 of us right there. But it will be a great opportunity to come out. Notice Kona Ice will be here. They will be selling shaved ice. It's a great educational opportunity especially for children and younger adults. It is also an opportunity for us to meet our neighbors. And so we would encourage you, everyone from LOPC is invited. We would love to have you join with us for that particular time. There are several other things that are listed in your bulletin, including pre-registration for both ladies and men's community Bible study. I would encourage you later on today to read that. But now let's prepare our hearts for worship.
The living God has called us into his very presence for a taste of heaven itself to worship and exalt his holy name. He's called us to bring our whole selves before him, to bring our joys, to bring our sorrows, to bring the things we're kind of on the mountaintop about, to bring the things that we may be feeling anxious and uncertain about. He wants us to bring our whole selves before him where we could be shaped by the story of the gospel. Our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 135, 1 through 4. And at the close of the invocation, I will invite us together to pray the prayer our Savior gave us, the Lord's Prayer. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, O servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession. Holy Father, there is no God but you. There is none like you. You are the great king over all the earth. May we sing for joy and rejoice in you being filled with the Holy Spirit. May we praise the name of the Lord acknowledging and recognizing that you have chosen us, your people, for yourself. We are not our own. We are your treasured possession. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with yourself, and we invoke your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to join with us, to walk amongst us, to dwell amongst us, while we praise and glorify you. We thank you for this time of worship, and we pray now together as our Lord taught us to pray, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, let's stand together and sing this great hymn of the faith. How great thou art.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Carol's nephew, did I get that right? I'll be glad to. Let me lead us in prayer. Carol, bless your heart too. Lord, we come before you in this, as Charlie has shared, confusing time, uh, difficult time, but we're gathered as your people to worship you and to recognize you're sovereign, to recognize that you and you alone are God. And so we pray for Carol and her family, and we pray that your comfort would be with them right now. We pray, Father, that you would show the entire family your presence display somehow. We don't understand how we can't grasp all the hidden things of your will. But we do know that you can display your glory even in troubling times like this. And so we join together to pray for this family, to pray for Carol and Charlie, to pray that we would rally around together with the hope of the gospel. The hope that Jesus, you will come one day to renew all things, to bring a new heaven and a new earth, your new world, that that is our hope. And so we bring that and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And transitioning now into our confession of sin, you know, I can't help but think, Charlie, as you shared that, one of the things we probably need to confess individually and corporately is our unbelief. This isn't necessarily our need of confession that's pointed on the board right now, and I'll read that in a second. But I think of the man who, when Jesus was confronting him about his lack of faith, he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Anybody relate to that? I know I do. Our deepest need, I feel, see, we know the intellectual concepts of Christianity. We could spout off the doctrines all day long, but they need to be real, energizing, galvanizing, transforming to our hearts to renew our hope in Christ, to renew our hope in the gospel, to be shaped by the story of the gospel. And we have the enemies of the world, the devil, and our flesh. And Jeremiah, here's our need of confession this morning, brings up one of the things about our sinful flesh when he says the heart is deceitful above all things. In other words, we can't even know ourselves the way we want to. It is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Friends, take a few moments, engage with the Lord on your own. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Knowing if you're a follower, if you're trusting in Jesus Christ, the words of the hymn we just sang, and when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die and take away my sin. We confession, confess not to get Jesus to take away our sin. He's done that. We confess to take away what hinders us from fellowship with God. God wants fellowship and communion with you. He loves you that much. Ask the Lord to show you what is it that's hindering, what is the unbelief, the self-righteousness that's hindering you from fellowship with God. Ask him to remove that. Knowing he's already forgiven you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in a few moments we will pray together our corporate confession of sin.
Let us pray together in unison. Holy Father, you see us as we are and know our inmost thoughts. We confess that we are unworthy of your gracious care. We forget that all life comes from you and that to you all life returns. We have not sought to do your will with our whole hearts. We have not lived as grateful children, nor lived as Christ loves us. Apart from you, we are nothing. Only your grace can sustain us. Lord, in your mercy, forgive us. Heal us and make us whole. Set us free from our sin and restore us to the joy of your salvation, now and forevermore. Amen. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, not only is this our assurance of pardon, but what a hope this is. If you're already righteous, you don't need Jesus. You only need him if you're a sinner. You only need him if you are like the sick needing a doctor. Don't be afraid to confess your sins. Don't be afraid to admit just how flawed, how weak, how insecure, how fragile you are. Jesus is attracted to go to you in the basement of your sin. He is attracted to join you in your greatest fears, your greatest rebellion, in your greatest failures. He did not come to call the prim and the proper and the together and the righteous to himself. He came for the messed up. He came for us. I don't know about you, but that is good news, and we take hope in that. Let's stand and continue to sing before the throne of God above.
Let's pray together as we approach God's Word this morning. Father, thank you for speaking to us and revealing to us much more than just basic propositions, revealing yourself, revealing your heart, revealing your will, and teaching us, communing with us through your word. So, Father, we pray that we'd have ears to hear, that your spirit, taking your word and applying it to our lives, would work to transform us, to make us a little bit more like Jesus, to renew our hope in Christ, our hope in the gospel, to maybe hope a little bit more, knowing that Jesus is our only hope in this world. Father, we ask that you would be mighty amongst us, working in us through your word, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have whatever device, Bible, whatever you're using, turn to Acts chapter 1. As I mentioned last week, we are going through the early chapters of the book of Acts. So we're not doing all 28 chapters here. We're looking at chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 we'll look at next week. Basically looking at as part of our missional church series, why does God have the church here? Looking at how Jesus prepares his disciples, and us for mission. I mentioned this in my promo I did, the video I did. I don't know how many of you saw it and whatnot, but, you know, avid sports fan that I am, do you know what this week and next week are? Training camp has started. Here come those bulldogs. They're getting ready. You got that? Soon the Falcons will be coming in, all those. They'll be doing the two-a-days, all of that kind of stuff. What are they doing? They are preparing for the upcoming season. They all have a mission in front of them. The mission is win either the national championship, win the Super Bowl, and they are preparing for that mission. That's kind of how I want you to picture these early chapters of the book of Acts. Jesus is preparing us. This is training camp. And aren't you glad I'm such a gracious teacher? I don't make you come in for two-a-days. We could come in. I could say, here we go. Are you ready, Carlton? Wind sprints. Here we go. I'm such a nice coach in that way. But as we look at this text, we are looking at principles of how Jesus prepares and tells us to prepare our life for mission. So, friends, let's read the text, Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in the ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle 
and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akel Damah, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. All right, we looked at last week how Jesus is preparing his disciples for mission. And this week, as we're continuing in Luke's sequel, this kind of volume two, we, are, we will see how we are taught to prepare our lives for mission. The first thing to recognize is that we are on mission. I think many Christians fail to realize that they are called ambassadors for Christ. That that is our identity. It's part of who we are. We represent the king. We are on mission. And we need to prepare our lives for mission. In my 34 years of being married to Evie, here's one thing I've learned. She is so much better than I am at being prepared for anything. You know, we recently got back from vacation and stuff like that. So I got to witness once again, she's 100 out of 100, she's consistent, and I'm consistent, I'll share that in a second, different way, how prepared she is for a trip. She begins early getting out all her clothes, color-coordinating everything. She might say to me, the theme color for this week's trip is pink. I, on the other hand, it's, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely awesome. I, on the other hand, will say, the theme for this week is I hope I don't forget anything. Here's my suitcase. Here's the pair of pants. Here's four pair of shorts, a couple of polos. I hope they match. They may be yellow and orange and green and who knows what color. I'm not exactly a pro at granimals. And then we go and I put it in and I sit there and go, well, if I forgot a toothbrush, there's got to be a Walmart somewhere close to where we're going. Maybe this is why God didn't call me to the missions field. You know, there's no Walmarts nearby. One thing is for sure is that from, you know, Evie is very prepared. I, on the other hand, not always so much. Now see, here's what Luke is doing. Remember, this is volume two. Remember verse one from last week? He said, in the first book. What was the first book he's talking about? That's the third gospel, the gospel of Luke. So he tells this man, Theophilus. I can't wait to meet Theophilus, by the way. And Luke says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Guess what the sequel's about? He didn't say this, but he might as well have said, here's volume two, and what am I doing? I'm beginning to share with you all that Jesus continues to do and teach. This book, the book of Acts, volume two, 
is a historical record of what Jesus is continuing to do and teach. Here's the first thing that we learn about mission. It's Jesus' mission. And he has a church for his mission. We have the unbelievable privilege of joining God on his mission of bringing healing and peace and renewal to the whole cosmos. This is his mission. He is committed to the renewal of his creation. When he says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he means for God is so committed to his cosmos. He's committed to the universe. He so loved the world that he reconciled through the death of Jesus sinners to himself that they would be ambassadors and representatives to bring that good news to the places where they lived. So the book of Acts is providing us a historical record of the growth and progress of the gospel. In other words, it's a highlighting a movement of the kingdom, a strategic movement of the people of God in community, laying down their lives for the purpose of the gospel of the kingdom. And so this passage is continuing to describe for us this life preparation for mission, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit and learning what do we do while we wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's preparing us for mission. What do we learn? Three things. We learn steadfast obedience. We learn the importance of corporate prayer. And we learn about the necessity of renewed leadership. First of all, steadfast obedience. Now this might not seem too obvious to us at first. But remember back last week I read out of chapter 1 and verse 4. Where Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem. But to wait for the gift my father has promised. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And so then when we get to verse 12, what do we find them doing? It says they return to Jerusalem. Now, think about this. This may not seem too significant, but in a way it's kind of shocking. Because what are the disciples doing? They're obeying. Now, do they have a good track record of obedience? Not really. I mean, think about how many times did Jesus have to say to them, O ye of little faith, where is your faith? Why are you still so afraid? What's going on here? Do not have ears to hear. But yet, hear what we learn. What do we find them doing? They are obeying Jesus. They go back to Jerusalem. They go back to the upper room. They wait. And this may not seem significant, but it really is. Now, why did they have to wait for the Holy Spirit? What did they have to wait for? Why is this so significant? Why couldn't the Spirit be given to them immediately? Well, it has to do with the ascension of Jesus. Jesus had to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and it is from there, from the right hand of God, that Jesus pours out his Spirit. One writer, N.T. Wright, says this. He says, Jesus has gone into God's dimension of reality. We need to recognize when Jesus was ascended into heaven, he didn't become some sort of primitive spaceman. It's not like you get your telescope and you look out 
as much as you can, and you go, there's Mars and Jupiter and all Saturn and all. Oh, maybe it's beyond there. No, in the Bible, according to Dr. Wright, he says Jesus has gone into heaven is God's dimension, God's space. Earth is our space. And so when Jesus talks about coming back, he'll be back on the day when that dimension and our present one are reunited, are brought together as one. What's called the new world, the new heavens and the new earth. And he says from the ascension onwards, the story of Jesus' followers take place in both dimensions. The ascended Jesus is ruling and reigning right now. No matter how chaotic life looks, and we're not denying how chaotic it can look, God has it under control. It is being ruled and reigned by Jesus. See, we need to realize the Spirit was not given in this major way, in this form, until Christ assumed his place as priest and king before the Father. Pentecost, which we will be looking at next Sunday, does not happen until Jesus goes to the right hand of the Father. Jesus talked about this earlier in the Gospel of John. John chapter 7, he says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then John adds this narrative thought. Now this Jesus said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now what does this mean? Does that mean somehow the Spirit wasn't active in the Old Testament believers to apply salvation? No. The Spirit was active. The Spirit applied the salvation by grace through faith in the believers of the Old Testament. But this is very specifically the Spirit of the risen, glorified, exalted, ascended Lord. See, the Spirit here is the Spirit of the glorified Lord, bringing the glory of Jesus into our lives. That's the meaning Behind Jesus says, if anyone thirsts, if you're weak and need strength, if you're powerless and need power, if you're sitting here listening to me every week say, we need to be witnesses, and you're going, how in the world do I do that? You're thirsty. If anyone thirsts, and we all thirst, Jesus invites us. Let him come to me and drink. Look at the willingness of Jesus. Jesus will not hold out his spirit from you. This is a prayer he will pray yes and answer yes every time. If we don't have the spirit, it's because we're not asking. This is not like a circumstance where Jesus answers yes sometimes and no sometimes. We're talking Jesus is willing to give out the spirit. It's his spirit, the spirit of the ascended Lord that he's giving us to empower us for mission. Jack Miller who I think was a tremendous missional pastor and missionary, wrote this. He says, we want God to show us what he calls the practical things in life. When you're younger, you pray, who should I marry? What career should I pursue? When you're older, you pray about your grandkids and health. He says, we want guidance, 
But Jesus wants to give us himself. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the answer. He wants to show his glory in our lives. See, this is so important. Look at the difference it makes. Later on in the book of Acts, you see this making a difference. Look at the story of a man named Stephen. Anybody remember who Stephen was? The first Christian martyr. Stephen is one of the early Christian leaders. He's dragged before a human court. He's condemned unjustly, and he's about to be executed. Pretty horrific circumstances, right? How's God answering his prayer to change his circumstances? Not so much. But we read in Acts chapter 7, but Stephen, full of the Spirit, thirsty and rivers of living water flowing from within him. Fulfillment of the prophecy and the teaching of Jesus in John chapter 7. Looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. At the very moment, see, what happens? Why was Stephen filled with with the spirit? It was the sight of Jesus at the right hand of God that filled him with the spirit. He sees Jesus standing at God's right hand. And what is Jesus Jesus is his advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says that we have an advocate with the Father, one who speaks in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Look what's going on in Stephen's life. At the very moment, an earthly court is condemning him. Condemning him to die. He realizes that the heavenly court is commending him. He is seeing Jesus Christ, the righteous one, his righteousness, his beauty, his glory, his acceptance. And in that fullness, he experienced the gospel. The gospel is becoming real to him. The spirit takes the intellectual concepts and electrified his entire soul his mind, his heart, his imagination with him. See, at that moment, the verdict there at the throne of God became so real and overwhelming to him that the verdict here in the human court of man's opinion became absolutely inconsequential. He's able to face his accusers. He's able to face his enemies. He's able to face those who hate him. Not just with boldness, but even a calmness, a joy a tenderness, a forgiveness. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, Jesus invites. Can you see now why it is so important that the disciples, they're preparing by being still and waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Tim Keller writes, to the degree that we have an awareness of Jesus as our advocate. Listen carefully to these words. To the degree that we have an awareness of Jesus as being our righteousness, our holiness before the Father, our acceptance before him, 
to the degree that we understand our position in him before God. To that degree, we will have courage and love and power. The disciples are preparing for mission. They are preparing to be sent out into a hostile, unbelieving, pluralistic, secular world. They need the Holy Spirit to be effective in their mission. And so they go to Jerusalem and they obey and they wait. But look what else. What else do they do to prepare for mission? Look with me at verse 14. And it says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The second point to prepare our lives for mission is corporate prayer. Michael Green, who is a writer on evangelism in the old, early church, writes this, and I, this is the one I included in your reflection. You know what that means when I do that? That means I want you to read this again. That means this quote, out of all the quotes I give you on a Sunday morning, yeah, I, this isn't my first rodeo. I know you'll forget a lot of this. I'm going, this one I want you to remember. So I wrote it down for you, for you to take home. He writes this. He says, in Acts, prayer is crucial. When the Christians pray, the Spirit comes. Prison doors open. The place of worship is shaken. They speak with boldness. The first Gentile mission was born in prayer. And we read a prayer in prison, prayer in the home, prayer on the beach, prayer in the temple. Prayer is the source of power. Now, I know how we're all reacting to that right now. We're going, amen, pastor. That's right. We got that. Preach it, pastor. That's a good thing. I say that, too. I believe that, too. How much of a difference is it making in our lives? Are we really praying like that? Look at their prayer. Look at this verse 14. And look at some of the characteristics of this prayer. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. First of all, this was corporate prayer. They got together and prayer. Prayer was more important than business. Prayer was more important than the business of the church. If the business of the church didn't get done, but they were praying, it was okay. They were devoted to prayer. That doesn't mean it was, we'll open, we'll close, it's okay, we've given a check in the box, check in the... They devoted themselves to pray. They prayed not just as individuals, but as a group. They came together. They knew this was their only source of power. Second, it was united prayer. It says, all these with one accord. This is one of Luke's fam favorite words. It's the word homothumidon. And it means having one mind, one purpose, one impulse. I'm sure they discussed, they disagreed, they did. But do you know where they came to unity? Do you know where they came to with one accord? They prayed it out. They came to consensus in prayer. They came to agreement as they prayed. And third, it was prevailing prayer. I mean, it says they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, we don't necessarily know how many. Is devoted? If I pray for an hour, is that devoted? If I pray for three hours, oh, I'm more devoted? The text doesn't tell us how long they prayed. It didn't put regulations on that. 
what it does tell us is they spent vast amounts of time in prayer. See, combining this with the first point about Jesus as our advocate, Jack Miller reminds us, he says, remember the only real leader you have is Jesus Christ. Unless you are daily taught of him, you will not be able to make the right decisions. To get to him, you need to pray. But it needs to be prayer of a unique quality. You can pray all night and all day and still not be in touch with his will. Prayer is not full and effective unless it adds up to our learning to wait upon the Lord for him to make known his will. He needs to break down our tendency to cry out in prayer, your will be done, and then to get up and still try to impose our will on circumstances. You do recognize we do that all the time, right? Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful and beyond cure, desperately sick. We can say the words, your will to be done, and then get up and say, what's my agenda? What's my preference? Here's how I've always done it. Here's how I've seen it work before. In my church experience, this is what has worked. Prayer is the means for us to wait upon the Lord till he breaks down our autonomy, breaks down our independence, breaks down our self-sufficiency to get us to surrender to his sovereign will. When we pray, we're not just praying about circumstances, we're praying for more of the ascended, glorified Jesus himself. We want more of Jesus. That's prayer that leads to mission. That's prayer that leads to gospel renewal. That's prayer that Lake Oconee needs. Are we devoted to that kind of prayer? Lastly, and this is the hard part. See, all of this I've spent, let's see, oh yeah, almost a half hour on the easy part of the passage. Now the tough part of the passage. Some of the details revolved around, oh, Siri's answering me again, around renewed leadership. Look at two of the, quick, of the details real quickly. First of all, Judas's death. Peter refers to it here in this passage. And Luke's aside about the circumstances of Judas' death may seem to contradict what Matthew in Matthew chapter 27 says about it. See, Matthew simply state, stated that Judas hung himself. Luke says he died through a fall, fell headlong. But as commentators make this point, he says that this does not necessarily mean a contradiction. Because they make the point that if a man had hung himself and he had not been found immediately, his body would have been bloated, decayed, and then easily could have fell headlong. And it would have lent itself to the naming of the place Field of Blood. The other detail that can be a little bit daunting is the drawing of a lot to choose Matthias as a replacement for Judas. Now again, many commentators and scholars note that this was prior to Pentecost and after the giving of the Spirit. There was, after the giving of the Spirit, after Pentecost, there was never any more instances of this process being used in decision making. That when significant decisions were made, like the choosing of the seven in Acts chapter 6, the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, this process was not used. What commentators do point out, and this is very important, is that verse 24 says emphatically that an 
that an apostle was to be chosen by the Lord. The drawing of lots may simply have been their specific way of depending on Jesus, not themselves, to make this all-important decision. What is important here is what do we learn in the way of some principles in the choosing of new leadership. First, we learn that leadership is a key in spiritual renewal. The disciples prepared for their mission by waiting on God to raise up godly and gifted leaders. We see here that God works in and through leaders. We also learn how they go about choosing their leaders. How they go about this? Well, shouldn't surprise us what they do. They were immersed in the word of God, the scriptures, and they were immersed in prayer. In verse 20, what do we see Peter doing? He's quoting from the Psalms. He's immersed in the scriptures. He says, according to the scriptures. And then they prayed. So as we close, as we look at this, what do we learn about preparing our lives for mission? You know, the first thing we learn is that only God can create spiritual renewal. You know, to me, as, as we are, the elders and I were, are working on this revisioning process, we are having an emphasis on the missional church, we are seeking to grow, we want to see young people come in, I think we're doing the right things. It is both freeing and daunting at the same time to recognize only God can produce spiritual renewal. We can do everything right, and it's up to the sovereignty of God. I remember Tim Keller being asked one time about his church in New York City and why was it successful. And, you know, and of course, these are young church planters basically going, okay, if Tim's going to give us the three or four principles of how to do it, notebook's ready, we're ready to take notes, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, I'll write down what he says, I'll go do it in my location, and ha, Midas touch, magic touch, we'll be able to do it. And he says, God was sovereign. In other words, God blessed us, right time, right place, with renewal at this particular time. Spiritual renewal only comes from God. Only God can create life out of death. Only God can create spiritual renewal. But we do learn here that th there are things we can do to prepare for this, to seek this, to ask boldly for God to produce this. Again, Dr. Keller uses the concept of building an altar to describe doing what we can to seek renewal and fullness of the Spirit. He points out that in the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 18, Elijah built an altar and a sacrifice was placed upon it. And then God sent his fire to burn up the sacrifice. And he says, this is a good illustration of the dynamics of personal and corporate renewal. And Paul utilizes this imagery when he tells the Roman Christians to make their lives a living sacrifice. We cannot create the spiritual renewal, only God can, but we can prepare the altar and the sacrifice. If we look at Acts 1 and we take a step back, and we look at what we've covered in the last two Sundays, we see Jesus helping the disciples, helping us build an altar, use this imagery to give us an understanding of and prepare us for mission. 
We see four parts of building an altar to prepare for the mission, describing a renewed church. We see that a renewed church is, first of all, vision-centered. It has to be focused on Jesus' vision of building a kingdom movement rather than a political campaign. Remember last week when we mentioned, here are the disciples, they're asking Jesus, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus basically says, wrong vision. Wrong vision. Jesus repairs their faulty vision of what he's going to do in the world. They had a faulty view of the, of the nature of the kingdom. Jesus had to say, it's not about your power. It's about giving power away. Jesus gave them a different vision. If we're going to build an altar, we need to have the right vision. That right vision is it must be gospel-centered. See, a renewed church appropriates the knowledge of Jesus' ascension to empower them. The ascended Jesus pours out his spirit is only as we appropriate the power of the gospel, praying it, preaching it, preaching it into our lives, preaching it into our souls, recognizing that we are beautiful in him, that we are righteous in him, that we are holy in him, massaging that into our souls, that the Holy Spirit takes that truth, catches it on fire in our hearts, equipping us for bold and courageous witness. The third part of building the altar is to be prayer-centered. I'll be very brief here. What do we see over and over? The disciples and the early community prevailing together in constant corporate prayer. You can do an entire study in the book of Acts just on the necessity of prayer over and over and over again. Prayer is seen as absolutely essential. And last, leader-centered. We see the disciples seeking God to raise up godly leaders to send out into the harvest we are reminded of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 9 when he says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Let's be vision and gospel-centered here for a second. Do you realize Jesus is looking out over Greensboro and Madison and Eatonton and Greene County and Putnam County and Jesus' heart is filled with compassion for the people who live here? Jesus sees them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They may have all the toys in the world. They may on the outside look like they're having all the fun in the world. Jesus has compassion on the condition of their hearts. And if they don't have Jesus, they are empty, seeking to fill their hearts with the toys of the world. Jesus has He doesn't judge them. He has compassion on them. And he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. Do we believe that? Do you look out and go, that's a plentiful harvest? Or do you look out and kind of go, yeah, it's the same, nothing will ever change. Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. The harvest is plentiful. I believe there are hundreds and hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people who don't know Christ, who are like sheep without a shepherd, who need to come to the Lord, it's up to us to take the message. We don't bring them to the Lord. The Lord does that. But we take, we're ambassadors for Christ. We take the good news to them. And so look at what he says to his disciples. 
He says, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. Revival and renewal occurs through leaders which God identifies and equips. And that doesn't just mean elders and deacons. That's any of us. That's bold, pace-setting leadership that any of us can have. That's having a heart for your neighborhood. So friends, how can we as individual Christians build this altar to be more effective and useful to God? Well, pretty much what we do. It's obedience, waiting for the Spirit, praying for the Spirit. It's prayer. See, I want you to think about prayer. How will you deepen your understanding of these truths? What are some practical things that you can do to more diligently seek his presence and prayer and study? How will you make your prayer life more centered on seeking God and his kingdom rather than centered on your needs and problems? Leadership. How will you find accountability, be more connected to the body, less isolated? How will you, what are some practical things you can do to become more accountable to others for building this altar? Friends, these are, I hope, the practical issues to prepare our lives for mission, to prepare us to be a missional church, one that makes an impact on our community and doesn't just exist for ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we ask now that, that you would give us the spirit to take the doctrines that we know of Jesus and make them real to our hearts. That we see you, Jesus, as our advocate at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, at the right hand of the throne of heaven, advocating for us. You are our holiness. You are our righteousness. You are our approval and our acceptance. Holy Spirit, make this real to us. May we be a people that comes together in prayer, that is devoted to pray and praying fervently, devotedly for your kingdom to be centered on the glory of Christ. And Lord, not just as elders and deacons, teachers and leaders, but may we all aspire to be leaders being salt and light in your world. Father, we thank you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Worship As we close our worship, we'll spend time in our pastoral prayer, and then we will sing our closing hymn together. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the body of Christ. And we turn to you, our refuge and our help, an ever-present help in trouble. Right now, once again, I pray your comfort upon Carol and Charlie Walker and on their family. I ask, Father, that you, the God of all comfort and the Father of all compassion, would even right now come to them, that they would feel your presence and know your advocacy for them. And even, again, not understanding and grasping all the things of your sovereign plan, recognizing that you are God, and I pray that your love would be real to them. I pray for our ability as a body to rally around them and love them and love them well and just be present with them. Lord, we pray for our body and those who are not well, those who are still sick, struggling with cancer, struggling with surgery, struggling with all sorts of things. 
we lift them up before you and pray your comfort. Pray for you to be real. Lord, as school is getting ready to start in this community, we pray for our teachers. We pray for the students. We pray, Father, for families and parents that are getting ready to go back to school. We ask, Lord, that you would teach them, that we would recognize that all truth is your truth, that what we learn is to be interpreted by your word, that it's truth that comes from you and belongs to you, that we all would be lifelong learners. Lord, we pray for the church in our community. The mission doesn't just belong to Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church. We pray for your kingdom to come here at Lake Oconee. And so we pray for our sister churches and we pray for the witness of the gospel, the hope of the gospel to go forward from all the pulpits and all the churches that the church universal would be a missional church, that we would bring the good news. We pray for this city and this community to become more and more beautiful, to reflect your glory, to look more and more like the city of God. Father, we thank you for joining with us today in your presence here this morning that we could exalt. And as we close out our service singing, what a friend we have in Jesus, may we be struck by the fact that you came down to be our friends. You came down to give your power away. You came down not to be served, but to be a servant. This is amazing, and to give your life as a ransom for many. So, Father, I pray that we would know you better because we have been together in your word and in prayers, in song and in praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us stand and sing together what a friend we have in Jesus.
friends, now receive the Lord's benediction. May the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now, this week, and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.